welcome to the First Baptist Dallas Spring Training Program, our annual Spiritual Disciplines Challenge designed to help you grow in your faith. What are you waiting for? A disciple's journey starts now. Welcome back to the Weekly Check-In Podcast. We're here at the end of week four of Spring Training, A Disciple's Journey. We've been working to form good spiritual habits together over the last month, and we've been reading about the life of Peter. Peter set out on the disciples' journey when he started following Christ. Then he spent three years training with the Master. Then we saw last week how Peter stumbled off the path. He made some huge mistakes. But we also saw how Christ met Peter there, and he restored him. This week, we saw the difference the Holy Spirit made in Peter's life. So our plan for today is really to see three things. First, we need to understand that the Holy Spirit is the church's power. Second, we'll see how Peter did ministry in the power of the Spirit. And third, we'll end by talking about how to rely on the Spirit in our daily lives. You know, even until the very moment of the ascension, the apostles weren't sure when or how Christ's kingdom would come. The book of Acts begins with the apostles asking this question, and it records Christ's answer. Christ orders them to stay in Jerusalem and wait for the fulfillment of the Father's promise when they will receive the Holy Spirit. This much is very clear. The ministry of the apostles cannot start until the Holy Spirit comes. The church can't pursue its mission without the Spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't optional. He's essential. The last 2,000 years, the history of the church is the history of the Holy Spirit's action in the world through God's people. When Peter and the apostles asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He answers first by saying that his return and consummation of the kingdom is not for them to know. But he goes on to give them a mission that would be the great adventure of their lives. It's the adventure that we're still on today. In Acts 1.8, Jesus told them, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That was it. That was the last thing he said to them. He ascended to the Father's right hand, and the angels basically told the apostles to stop staring and to get to work. Jesus had a mission for the apostles, one that would require faith, boldness, and wisdom to accomplish. They were to fan out geographically, working their way from the epicenter, from Jerusalem into surrounding regions, and then throughout the world. It seems easier in retrospect now that we know what incredible success the apostles had in taking the gospel everywhere, but that was a tall order at the time. Don't forget who we're talking about here. This is the Peter who couldn't keep his eyes open to pray for an hour. This is the Peter who swore that he didn't even know who Jesus was. These were the guys who were huddled together in a locked room just hoping they wouldn't get arrested. And now they're being told by Jesus, all right, guys, I'm about to leave you, and I can't say when I'll be back with you. In the meantime, go conquer the world. So it wasn't like the Sanhedrin or the chief priest had a sudden change of heart. The Roman governors hadn't altered their policies or pre-approved Christ's plans. Christ didn't give them a new method or a new technology. Nothing about the disciples' situation had changed except for one thing. They were about to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is where we get the power 
power to be able to do what God is calling us to do. Remember, Jesus said you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's the difference. That's how a fisherman could become a preacher and a leader. It was the power that comes from the Holy Spirit, God dwelling in us and empowering us. The Holy Spirit is associated with power in Scripture. At the end of Luke, Jesus tells the disciples the Holy Spirit will clothe them with the power from on high. When Paul writes to the Thessalonians, he reminds them of what made his ministry different from any message that they'd ever heard. Our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. If as Christians all we have is words, then we're just like any other sales force. We're a bunch of followers of the latest spiritual guru just trying to sell a new way to be happy. The world has seen plenty of these types of people come and go. What separates us from any other teaching is that when the gospel is proclaimed, God himself shows up and starts moving in the hearts of those who hear. Christ isn't just some idea. He is a living reality. We witness to him not merely by telling people about him. We're witnesses to the living and present God. The God we proclaim is alive. He is alive in us and he is working through us by his spirit. Second, let's look at Peter's ministry by the spirit. Remember just how afraid Peter had been only a few weeks earlier? And then think about what he stepped up to do at Pentecost. Facing a hostile, rowdy crowd of skeptics who accuse the apostles even of being drunk, Peter doesn't shrink away or disassociate himself from Jesus at this time. He steps up. He steps forward. He delivers a powerful sermon. He pulls no punches, and he explains exactly who Jesus is and what he accomplished. And we see revival break out. Thousands of people are saved, and the church is off and running. We know enough to know by now that that wasn't Peter, not in his own strength. In his own strength, Peter was weak. He was afraid. But this was the Holy Spirit working in and through Peter. Peter quotes the prophet Joel who had announced beforehand, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And that's why it can be truly said that the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. In Acts 3, Peter generated quite a stir when he invoked Christ's name to enable a lame man to walk just outside the temple. The man himself and all the people who realized what had happened started crowding around Peter, amazed at what he'd done. But Peter used the occasion not as a chance to puff himself up, but to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with all of them. He starts by asking, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? There's a lot packed into that question that Peter asked. It shows the profound humility, the reliance on God that Peter has at this point. He just saw a man healed of a serious disability, and yet he wants the people to know it's not his own power or his piety that could have ever accomplished something like that. It's not because Peter is so great. It's not because Peter is so religious. That's not why we see such a miraculous work here. It's because God is working through Peter. It's because of the Holy Spirit. That's why hard hearts were melting. That's why immobile legs were walking. Anytime that we see God do something incredible through us, we need to deflect all glory where it should always go, to God. Don't begin to think that any good thing or any good accomplishment that you do is because you are so powerful or so good. It's not you. 
It's God in you. It's God working through you. Then in Acts 4, we see what used to be one of Peter's worst fears coming true. After preaching and seeing about 5,000 people come to believe in Jesus, Peter is arrested by the religious leaders. Again, this is what Peter was afraid of. And scripture says that the religious leaders, they were, quote, greatly annoyed by his preaching and this act of healing. Peter was brought before the entire high priestly family, and he's asked this question. By what power or by what name did you do this? Well, they couldn't have teed Peter up any better than that. He had a ready answer. As he started to speak, Scripture tells us how Peter knew exactly what to say. The text says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. So don't miss that phrase, filled with the Holy Spirit. With no hesitation or equivocation, Peter boldly and clearly testifies to exactly who Jesus of Nazareth is and what he has accomplished. He told the Jewish authorities who were listening that they each needed to repent and to believe in him. It wasn't Peter who was on trial. It was Annas. It was Caiaphas. It was the ruling council on trial. Would they humble themselves and recognize God's undeniable power? Or would they continue in their sinful rejection of Christ? That's the difference the Holy Spirit makes. That's the divine power at work through Peter, calling the authorities to repentance. The chief priests wouldn't accept Jesus, but they couldn't explain or deny the power of God working in Peter. They were stumped. Here's how Acts describes it. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and they perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. The chief priest gave a half-hearted warning to Peter not to preach about Christ anymore, but they had to have known what the response would be. Peter's response to them was essentially, we're not going to stop because we can't help it. The passage says, Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Peter even rejoices that he is counted worthy to suffer for such a noble cause, for Christ's name. If anything, his ministry accelerates and spreads farther the more opposition that he meets. Peter had discovered new strength, the power of the Holy Spirit. And he could not stop climbing. He could not stop making his way toward the summit. He was a man possessed a man on a mission with the Holy Spirit driving him to fulfill God's call on his life. You know, we live in a secular age. This affects us in more ways than we realize. Our pastor, Dr. Jeffress, pointed this out in a sermon recently. He said that most people, including Christians, live their lives like functional atheists. They may nominally believe in God. If they were filling out a survey, they might check a box that says they believe there is a God. But for all practical purposes, they live as if God doesn't even exist. Sometimes I ask myself, if the Holy Spirit left our churches, would we even notice? Are we too content to rely on ourselves and our own power to do God's work? What about you in your life? If God withdrew His Spirit from your life, would you notice? Are you relying on Him, keeping in step with Him, filled by Him each day? Or do you live like a functional atheist? That's a tendency we're directly trying to confront here with spring training. These disciplines are spiritual disciplines. They're spiritual habits. Yes, they're things that we do, 
But more than that, they're a space where God does something in us. When we commune with Him each day, when we pray, when we read His Word, when we memorize Scripture, when we gather together as the church, God shows up in these moments. He makes His presence clear. He speaks. He guides us. He changes us. If our lives are going to amount to anything lasting, if our church is going to accomplish anything lasting, it will only and ever be because the Holy Spirit is working in us and through us. So I want to encourage you this week to pray and to rely on His Spirit for every good work that God gives you to do each day. His power never runs out and nothing can stop Him.